0: This program is brought to you by Bible Way Media, under the oversight of the elders of the Chipman Road Congregation in Lee Summit, Missouri. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. We want to begin a series of studies today on the Book of Romans. The Book of Romans is one of the most misunderstood books in the New Testament when we come to an understanding of the book of Romans, the more things will make sense. Romans also gives us a platform to make sense of different New Testament doctrines. And the book of Romans clarifies the Christian faith to us and how God can accept us. Now, when you look at the background of the book of Romans, we know from Romans chapter 1 verse 1 that The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to author the book. Romans 1:1 says, "Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God." In Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, Paul says there to the church in Galatia but i certify you brethren that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man for i neither received it of man neither was i taught it but by the revelation of jesus christ now paul dictated the roman letter to a man named tertius in romans chapter 16 verse 22 romans 16:22 he says, I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. Now I want to look at the time frame of the writing there of the book of Romans. Scholars believe Romans was written in the early spring of AD 58. Now Paul was on his third missionary journey in the midst of a three-month visit in Corinth. In Acts 19, 21. Acts 19, 21 says, After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. In Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, it says, and after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. And He was at Corinth, whenever I believe it was Corinth, whenever this happened. Anyway, and went or when he, in Ephesus, excuse me, in a, in a Ephesus, verse two, and when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece, and there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him as he was about to sail into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. So he's traveling through that area whenever the book was written. Now the reasons for this belief in Romans 1623, Romans 1623, it says, Gaius mine host and of the whole church saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city saluteth you, and Quartus, a brother." It is believed that Gaius and Erastus were from Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14, 1 Corinthians 1:14, Paul says there, "'I thank God that I baptized none of you "'but Crispus and Gaius.' This may be the same Gaius, it may not. In Acts 19.22, Acts 19.22 says, so he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered unto him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. Of course, that being Asia Minor. And then in 2 Timothy 4.20, it mentions Erastus again. It says, Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Corinth was in Achaia, which is a region there in Greece, Athens being to the east of it. Whenever you look at Paul's letters, and this is what people, when they believe that Paul's letters were written, it is believed that 1 Thessalonians was written sometime in AD 52 or 53 from Corinth on his second missionary journey, and that journey being Acts 15 verse 40 down through chapter 18 verse 22. The book of 2 Thessalonians was believed to have been written in AD 53 from Corinth again on his second missionary journey. The book of Galatians was believed to have been written at either 57 or 58 AD, possibly from Ephesus, on his third missionary journey, and that being Acts eighteen twenty-three down through chapter 21, verse 15. It is believed that 1 Corinthians was written in either 57 or 58 AD from Ephesus, again on his third missionary journey. 2 Corinthians was believed to have been written again the same time frame, 57 or 58 AD, but from Macedonia on his third missionary journey. And it is believed that Romans was written in A.D. 58 from Corinth on his third missionary journey. And the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon were written in either A.D. 60 or 61 during Paul's first imprisonment. First Timothy, believed was written from A.N. A- A.D. 66 or 67 from Macedonia. The book of Titus, the same time frame, AD 66-67 from Macedonia also. And then Second Timothy was written either late in AD 67 or early AD 68 from Rome. So that gives kind of a time frame of the writings of Paul. Now the recipients of the letter was of course the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 1 verse 7 it says, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's, there are, there's speculation for the origin of the church in Rome because Paul had never been there. We read again Acts chapter 19 verse 21 says, and after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. And then in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, it says, The night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be a good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. So he would be going to Rome. He had never been there. Now, what are the speculations as to how the church in Rome began? Well, one is that Jewish worshipers in Jerusalem were converted and went back to Rome. Acts chapter 2, verse 10. Acts chapter 2, verse 10. There, whenever it gives a list of those Jews who were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, on that list are... Phrygia, Pamphylia, in Egypt and in parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes. So there were those there from Rome on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, and they may have traveled back home and began the church. Barnes in his commentary says this of the Jews in Rome. Josephus says there were eight synagogues there. The Jews are often mentioned by Roman writers There was a Jewish colony across the Tiber from Rome. When Judea was conquered about 60 years before Christ, vast numbers of Jews were taken captive and carried to Rome, but they had much difficulty in managing them as slaves. They perniciously, and that word means holding firmly, adhered to their religion, observed the Sabbath, and refused to join in the idolatrous rites of the Romans. Hence, they were freed and lived by themselves across the Tiber. Another speculation is that when persecution forced Christians to leave Jerusalem, some may have gone to Rome. They're in Acts chapter 8 verse 1. Acts chapter 8 verse 1. It says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, that being Stephen, And at that time, there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Another speculation on the origin of the church in Rome is just ordinary travel and business. Well, if you look at Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 3, it says, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth, and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And then in Romans chapter 16, verse 35, it mentions Priscilla and Aquila again. It says greet Priscilla and Aquila my helpers in Christ Jesus who have for my life laid down their own necks unto whom not only I give thanks but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well beloved Epinetus who is the first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. And you go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 8, we find that the church in Rome had a widespread reputation and had been in existence for many years. Romans 1, 8. He goes, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And again, we must remember they didn't have the modern means of communication that we had. They had very slow communication to go out through, even throughout the whole Roman Empire. And then in Romans chapter 15, verses 22 to 26. Romans 15, to 26. It says, For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you, but now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. But now I go unto Jerusalem to minister unto the saints, for it is pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. And then you look at From the listing of the members of the church there in Romans chapter 16, the church was probably mostly Gentile, with more Greeks than Romans. According to Thayer, there are 16 Greek names, 7 Latin names, 3 Jewish names, and 1 Persian name. And you might recall as well that Roman Christians came to meet Paul at the Api Forum and the three taverns over in Acts chapter 28, verse 15. Acts 28:15 says, And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Api Forum and the three taverns, whom Paul, when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. Of course, that was prior to, or that was prior to his first Roman imprisonment, but he'd been already in prison there in Judea. Now, the purpose for the Roman letter, the central purpose is to show that the gospel is God's power to save and justify both Jews and Gentiles, Romans 1, 16 and 17. Romans chapter one, verses 16 and 17. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, that is in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And there are some sub-purposes as well for the writing of the letter of Romans. The first one is, it would be a substitute for a visit. And that's Romans 1, 11 to 13. Romans 1, 11 to 13. Paul says there, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant brethren that sometimes I purposed to come unto you but was let or hindered hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also even as among other Gentiles. A second sub-purpose for the writing of the letter of Romans would be a letter of introduction for Phoebe. Romans 16, 1 and 2. Romans 16, 1 and 2. He says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Synchria, that ye receive her in the Lord as become a saint, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For he hath, she hath been a succorer, or a helper, of many and of myself also. Now a third sub-purpose is, would be to work on a Jew-Gentile problem that faced the church. Uh, In Romans chapter three, verse nine, Romans chapter three, verse nine, it says, what then are we, that being we Jews, better than they, they Gentiles? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. So as you look at the book of Romans, You know, the book of Romans is after the book of Acts. The book of Acts is designed to give the conditions of salvation, what to do. The book of Romans gives the basis or grounds for salvation, in other words, the how and the why to be saved. You know, the same things that the church in Rome faced are the same thing that the church today faces. And the things that we're going to study in the book of Romans are relevant to our lives as well as to the lives of our children and our grandchildren as long as this earth shall stand. So, I want to get into the, this kind of an introduction there. That, now let's get into Romans chapter 1. And in order to understand the book of Romans as a whole, we have to grasp the foundation principles that are set forth in Romans chapter 1. And Romans 1 can be divided into two sections. The first section is the power of the gospel, Romans 1, 1 through one seventeen, 17. And then the second division of chapter 1 would be the sins of the Gentiles, Romans one eighteen through 32. In Romans 1, 1, and 2, basically, Paul kind of gives a resume of himself. In Romans 1, 1, Paul describes his qualifications. Romans 1, 1 reads, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of Christ. So his qualification there is a servant of Christ. He is an apostle of Christ. The word servant there is doulos. Thayer says the word doulos means means a slave, bondman, man of servile condition. Strongs adds to that definition, whether involuntarily or voluntarily. And then Paul was called an apostle of Christ. He was not discussing what he was called to be. You'll notice that those two words are in italics. They were added by the translators. So Paul was an actual apostle of Christ. He mentions that in several other places in his writings. In 1 Corinthians one 1 Corinthians 1, 1.1, says Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, in 2 Corinthians 1.1, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 1.1, says Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And to Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth with all the saints, which are in all Achaia. In Galatians 1.1, Galatians 1.1, says Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and by God the Father who raised him from the dead. In Ephesians 1.1, again here, Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and unto the faithful in Christ Jesus. In 1 Timothy 1.1, 1 1 Timothy 1.1, says Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ which is our hope. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 11 and twelve, Second Corinthians 12, 11 and 12, Paul states there that he was not behind any of the apostles. He says, I am become a fool in glorying, ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. And Paul was a certified apostle, and what he wrote were the commandments of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty-seven. 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty-seven, Paul wrote, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which are that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Now, people have said that, <clears throat> oh, it's only Paul that states some things there. But here, Paul specifically mentions that the things that he writes and teaches are are the commandments of Jesus Christ and paul was set apart to preach the gospel we find that in galatians 1:15 and 16 galatians 1:15 and 16 it says but when it pleased god who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. In other words, he didn't go to the apostles. He went out into Arabia. And you can go back and read that. The gospel that Paul preached was foreseen by the prophets of old. And we're going back to Romans chapter 1 now, verse 2. Romans 1, 2, which says... Which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 9 through eleven. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 9 through eleven. Peter wrote there, receiving the end of your faith even a salvation of your souls, of which salvation "...the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow." So again, the prophets prophesied of these things. Now in Romans chapter 1 verses 3 through 5 there, Paul specifically talks about our Redeemer, Jesus the Christ. And Paul turns his attention to Jesus Christ in Romans chapter 1 verse 3, where he says, concerning his Son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Jesus is Lord. And he is also of the seed of David. That's the physical side of Jesus. And that's something that the Jews largely missed. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 through 46. Matthew 22, verses 41 to 46. It says, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. You know, they missed it there. In Romans 1, 4, Jesus is declared to be the Son of God, and that's the spiritual side of Jesus, by the resurrection. Romans 1, 4 says, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. You know, Jesus did many miracles to prove his deity. When you look at John 20, verses 30 to 31, John 20, 30 to 31, it says there, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have faith through his name. The scribes, though, and Pharisees, they wanted more. Go back to the book of Matthew now, chapter 12, verses 38 through 40. Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 40. It says, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus is saying there, His resurrection will prove who He is. And Jesus' resurrection is the cornerstone of his deity and the basis for the promises connected to him. Let's turn now to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 23. It says, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto the unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever." And Paul received grace and apostleship from that same risen Redeemer. Romans chapter 1, verse 5. Romans 1, 5. It says, By whom we have received grace and apostleship, for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, Now, when Paul says we there, he's referring to the apostles. They're the only ones that receive the apostleship. And the obedience to faith, that is, obey the gospel plan and have the kind of faith that obeys. Paul's readers are described in Romans 1, 6 through 7. Now, a definition of the word description, this is from Business Dictionary, it says, a detailed account of the certain or salient aspects, characteristics, or features of a subject matter or something. So Paul is going to describe his readers. In Romans chapter 1, verse 6, his readers are called or the called of Jesus Christ. Romans 1:6 says among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. In 2 Thessalonians 2:14 we see how we are called. 2 Thessalonians 2:14 Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 Peter also mentions that 1 Peter 2, 9. He says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So how are we called out of darkness? It's in the gospel. And we're called into his marvelous light which is the gospel, the word of God. In Colossians 1.13, following on that trend, it says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. You know, that goes back there. We're called out of darkness into his marvelous light. From the power of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. Now Paul addresses the local church there in Rome in Romans chapter one verse seven. Romans one seven to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called saints, not to be saints, but called saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this is a normal greeting that Paul used. In verses 8 and 9 here of Romans 1, we see Paul's remembrance of them. Romans 1, 8 and 9. First of all, Paul thanked God for them. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. So he always remembers the church in Rome in his prayers. Well, the church in Rome, we see there in the first part, there in verse 8, that their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world so in order for that to happen the church in rome had to demonstrate their obedience their obedient trust their faith in god in james chapter 2 verse 18 james chapter 2 verse 18 it says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith and I have works. Shall be thy faith without thy works. And I will show thee my faith by my works. That's how the church in Rome demonstrated their obedient trust, their faith in God, by their works. If somebody says, I have faith in God and their life doesn't show it, they're lying. Because faith... Without works is dead, we continue reading there in James chapter two. And Paul wanted to come to Rome in Romans one ten through thirteen. In verse ten, Paul's remembrance of them in prayers led him to request that of God that he might go to Rome. Romans one ten making request. If by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. So he prayed there that God's will to be done and he hopes, he prays that it's God's will that he comes to Rome. And Paul wanted to impart a spiritual gift unto them so that they could be established. Romans 1, 11. Romans 1, 11. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end ye may be established. Only the apostles could impart spiritual gifts. And that proves that Paul had never been to Rome. Questionable whether any apostle had ever been to Rome as well. In Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 18. Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 18. It says, now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem Heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, two apostles. Now verse 15. Who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So right there, that verse proves that whenever we are baptized, For the remission of our sins, we do not receive the Holy Ghost. And Acts 2.38 says we will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. There are different opinions on that, whether it was the ability to uh, perform the miracles or whether it is salvation. But anyway, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now verse 17 Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon, this is Simon the sorcerer who was converted to Christianity, when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. You see, that proves right there miracles do not happen today. Because only through the laying on of the apostles' hands was the Holy Ghost given. And that is a different act there from the day of Pentecost at Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit baptism was placed there upon the apostles. And in Acts chapter 10, whenever Cornelius and his household were able to speak in tongues. So those are the only two occurrences of Holy Spirit baptism and the only way other than that for those miracles to be passed on was through the laying on of the apostles' hands and there are no apostles alive today now there were those in rome that had spiritual gifts though romans 12:6 It says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. So again, some from Rome were there on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 verse 10 in the presence of the apostles. Again, among the list given there, Phrygia, Pamphylia, in Egypt and in parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes. So, the Romans were unable to pass on spiritual gifts to others, but Paul could. He could pass on those spiritual gifts to others there in the church in Rome, who had not been in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost when the apostles that were there that day could have laid their hands on them. Spiritual gifts were given until the word of God was completed. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 14, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 14, Paul wrote there, and he gave some, Apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body, till, that's a time frame, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That henceforth, that we henceforth, be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lay in wait to deceive. Now you'll notice when we, verse 13 again, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. When would that take place? Well, the unity of the faith there talks about the faith that God has set forth. The doctrines, the teaching. When would that teaching be completed? When will we come to the knowledge of the Son of God to a complete man? Well, whenever you go to the book of First 1 Corinthians, first 1 Corinthians, I've got to put my glasses on here. Gotta put my glasses on. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we begin there in verse 8. It says, Charity or love never faileth. But whether they be prophecies, now this is mentioning the miracles, whether they be prophecies, they shall fail. Or the American standard says, they shall be done away. Whether they be tongues, that is, speaking in foreign languages that someone had not studied, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, that would be the spiritual knowledge there that whenever those who received the prophecies that they would speak that, and Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 12 and Romans chapter, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14. says, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. In other words, they didn't have the complete word of God We know part of it and they prophesied part of it, Paul was saying. But in verse 10 he says, but when that which is perfect is come then that which is in part shall be done away. Well, what was that which was in part? The miracles, the prophesying. Now, studying that verse there, but when that which is perfect. Well, what is the perfect? You read through... You listen to various men. You read through their writings and stuff. Some say the perfect is when Jesus comes back. Some say it is perfect love. But whenever you look at the Greek word there, it is in the neuter gender. Jesus is always spoken of in the masculine gender. So it won't be Jesus. Love is always used in the feminine gender in the Greek. So it's not love. It is neutral. So what is it? That which we know in part and we prophesy in part will be complete. That would be the completed word of God. So when the completed word of God came, all these miracles would cease. They they are not needed anymore now that we have the completed word of God. Now, he explains it, gives an illustration in verse 11 here in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, when I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. In other words, I didn't have complete knowledge of things like that, I had child knowledge. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. So what is he comparing that there? Whenever the completed word of God comes, we can put away those childish things, which would be the miracles. Verse 12, he says, again, another illustration. For now we see through a glass, American Standard Version says, a mirror darkly. So now we're seeing parts. But he says, continuing there, but then face to face. In other words, then, I will know. And he says then, now, or he says now, I know in part. In other words, the revelation of God has not been completed. But then, when it is completed, shall I know even also, as also I am known. Or he says, American Standard Version there says, as also I was fully known. So that gives us an, the example there, the teaching there, that miracles are ceased. But anyway, going back to Romans chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Paul wanted also to be comforted together with them because of their mutual faith, Romans 1, 12 and 13. He says that is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant brethren that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you but was let again or hindered hitherto. That I might have some fruit among you also even as among other Gentiles. So Paul intended to come to them many times. But he was hindered in getting there, and whenever we get over to Romans chapters latter, latter chapters in Romans we'll see what hindered him. Well, Paul was now ready to come to Rome. That's Romans one fourteen and fifteen. Paul, as well as you and I, are debtors to teach the gospel to others. Romans one fourteen. Romans one fourteen. I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. The word debtor there from the Greek word apheletes, Thayer says that word means one held by some obligation, bound by some duty. And he said he was a debtor or bound by a duty to the Greeks and the barbarians. The Greeks were those who knew the Greek language, though were those who were cultured, and the barbarians are those who did not, you know, ruffians uneducated, those who were didn't know the Greek language. And Paul was ready to preach the gospel in Rome. Romans one fifteen Romans one fifteen. So as, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome. You know, we need to be ready to preach the gospel, to teach it to whoever we may find. You know, in 2 Timothy 4.2, 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul to the Timothy there said, preach the word. And that is, what, that is the only thing we are obligated to teach, and that is the Word, not men's opinions or from creed books or synods or councils or anything like that, but only the Word of God. And he says, be instant. The word instant there means ready. In season, out of season. In other words, whenever people are wanting to hear it, and when people don't want to hear it, and then he says reprove rebuke exhort reprove rebuke tell them that what their lives need to do what they need to change in their lives and then exhort encourage them how with all long suffering and doctrine you know what the word preaching the word is that's preaching doctrine the doctrine of Christ. And do it with patience, long-suffering. It may take a while, now long-suffering doesn't necessarily mean it's gonna be a long time. But long-suffering means you may have some confrontations before they finally are willing to obey the gospel. But only do it with the doctrine of Christ. And then the fundamental theme of Romans is Romans 1, 16 and 17. In Romans 1, 16, we see the resolve that we need, you and I need, to teach the gospel to others. Romans 1, 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul said he is not ashamed. In 1 Corinthians 4, verses 9 through 13, 1 Corinthians 4, 9 through 13, Paul wrote, For I think that God has set forth us the apostles' last as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. He's using sarcasm here. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even under this present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and are naked, and are buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place. And labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world, and are the off-scouring of all things unto this day. And you know, you think about it, heaven is the goal of the gospel, so why be ashamed of being a child of the ruler of the universe? And Paul had experienced the transforming power of the gospel, 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 14. 1 Timothy one twelve through 14. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me that he, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. And the gospel is God's power of salvation unto the believer John three eighteen says he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. And Paul is not speaking of belief alone, but of faith that includes obedience to all that God requires for salvation. In Romans chapter two, verse four, Romans two four or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Repentance is necessary. Romans 10, 9, and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God that raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So confession is necessary. In Romans 6, 3, and 4, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So all these are things that need to be done. And then the gospel is the location where the righteousness of God is revealed, Romans 1, 17. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, The just shall live by faith. That is a quotation from Habakkuk 2.4. It says, Behold, his soul which lifteth up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And the gospel reveals the way God forgives sinners. Hebrews 8.12 says, for I will be merciful under their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And then we attain the state of righteousness through God justifying us because of our obedient faith. Romans 3.30. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. And then from faith to faith, Brother Robert Taylor states this about that. Quote, it is a system of faith and is richly and comprehensively designed to produce faith in the recipient of the gospel message. Unquote. So we're going to stop right there today. And Lord willing, we'll get started there in verse 18. Lord willing, next time in Romans chapter 1. So again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to be with us today. And we look forward to seeing you the next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this program you can find out more about Byway Media by visiting our website, bywaymedia.org. You can find all of our podcasts on all major podcast platforms. As always, we thank you for listening.